Good morning. You are back with the conversation, and today we turn our attention to gardening. You may have joined many across the island starting to grow your own vegetables or fruits, and whether you're an apartment dweller or live in a home with a yard, we want to know how you're faring. Joining us today from the Big Island is Una Greenaway. She's an organic farmer from Kona. For more than four decades, she's grown coffee, mac nuts, chocolate, fruits, and vegetables all raised organically. She's also the president of the Hawaii Organic Farming Association and has made it her mission to get folks in Hawaii to grow more food. Good morning, Una. Good morning. Aloha. Evan Ryan is a Maui farmer. He's also an agricultural landscape designer, consultant, and educator. He's the author of Hawaii Home Gardens, Growing Vegetables in the Subtropics Using Holistic Methods. He's also the founder of Pono Grown Farm Center, a nonprofit 15-acre farm that hosts internships and workshops all around vegetables, fruits, chickens, and bees. Hi, Evan. Aloha. Nice to be here. I hope the weather's nice there in Maui. <laughs> it is. Well, you know, it rained this morning, and Fran Butera is here in Honolulu. She probably got some rain in her garden. Fran is yep. a gardener-in-chief of Foodscapes Hawaii, which has been helping Oahu residents grow organic kitchen gardens at home since 2008. Foodscapes has also been an HPR underwriter since 2009. So, uh, Fran, let's just jump in. Can we start with you? Uh, how's there, How have you had to pivot with this pandemic? Oh, well, um Gosh, we're pivoting right now, right? I would love to be in the room with yes. with all of you wonderful people, but we're all adapting, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. One of the things that we did uh, pretty much right away was um, we had the same experience many people did of walking into City Mill and seeing no seeds on the shelf, and then people were calling me and asking me if I had seeds for sale. So I, I just started an online shop selling seeds to make that resource available for gardeners and also to earn a little income for Foodscapes Hawaii. So, um, yeah, we did that, uh, shop.foodscapeshawaii.com. Um, let's see, we also um, we had to change uh, some of our practices because most of what we do involves working closely with our clients. Um, we, you know, we do, um, we do our maintenance jobs. We are working with the client in the garden. And so uh, that seemed a little iffy, so I did postpone some jobs. Um, when we did go to jobs, we had our masks and our gloves and tried to stay apart. In uh, apartment buildings, kept going on separate elevators and so forth. And then I, I did have a program that I was starting that I completely shelved because um, it involved working with um, older residents in nursing homes and um that's out of the question for now. <laughs> Hope to come back to that when things are um, more normal. Yeah, whatever, whatever that normal that looks is. like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Evan, what about you? What have you had to do? What's different? Well, we have a lot of layers of operations that we participate in, but as far as the farm perspective, uh, you know, pretty pretty quickly in a very short period of time, most. The restaurant shut down, and basically all the wholesale operations that purchase a lot of food shut down, and our farmers market shut down, and then shifted to a little drive-through scenario that didn't wasn't really effective for people. Um, so we actually um, kind of preemptively shifted almost all of our production over to a CSA model, and we are very fortunate in that we are very diverse. We have about 30 to 40 varieties of vegetables we're growing at any given time, and over 40 varieties of fruit trees, and and then the eggs and honey, and so it allowed us to just internally 
create that system. And, you know, within, within a week, we had 50 families on board that were coming and picking up food off of the farm. Some of the specialty growers on the island, they've had a more difficult time for someone that's just growing tomatoes and just selling to resorts or just selling to restaurants. It's been harder for them to kind of navigate the system. But, um, but beyond that, you know, we do a lot of classes on the farm and all our classes were shut down educationally, which is interesting timing because we had all these people that were now engaging with gardens for the first time or, or choosing to re-engage with their gardens. And so they had more of a need for education and more of a need for questions. And, um, and I, have a, I have my book, Hawaii Home Gardens, and uh, we took that and we put that on sale. And it's been interesting to watch how many people are buying that book online right now. It's very, we, don't, we hardly promote it, mm-hmm. um, but there's such a need for information out there. And so we're in this interesting dynamic where we can't go to classes and be in gardens with other people or on farms with other people. Um, but people are, yeah, really needing that information. Now, you mentioned and, CSA. What is CSA? Uh, thank you. Um, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. We call ours kind of a farm share, but it's it's a system that was developed um, on the mainland, specifically uh, more in temperate climates where farmers are putting up an immense investment um, every spring to get the garden started and get the farm going. And uh, most of the expenses are up front. And so it's a subscription service where families sign up to pick up a bag of or a box of produce once a week or once every other week. Every, every operation is a little bit different, but it gives that upfront funding to the farmer to then be able to invest in things like soil and seeds and fertilizer and labor, um, knowing that they have a market for their produce. We do ours a little differently here in Hawaii because we operate year-round, and so usually we um, have people sign up for four to, four to ten-week cycles. And once a week they come and they get a really diverse bag of produce that um, – you know, they pay a set amount, which is 25 or $35 a week. And uh, what they get is the fun experience of going home. And sometimes there's new things in the bag. And oftentimes there's things that they're familiar with. But it really encourages healthier eating habits at home and really is supportive of farmers to know that, you know, we harvest and the same day people are coming to the farm and picking up and taking the food home with them. So you're kind of challenging people to get creative uh, based on what they uh, have in their bag. <laughs> yeah. And Uno, what's happening there in Kona? What have you had to do? Well, um, we uh, our farm work is pretty much the same. That never stops. Um, but we we at our farm have um, really developed our farm tour business and our chocolate candy making classes. So those have all stopped. So our income's gone down. But um, we uh, we've been sharing lots and lots of food with neighbors. Uh, the uh, the nearby senior housing project. We bring bananas and avocados and different things that we have extra of. We've also been giving some to the food basket. So yeah, we're we're trying to help folks wherever we can. And uh, I often I've been passing on you know veggie starts babies to different friends and things. Because <laughs> I'm I'm even pushing some of my friends who haven't grown food to grow food. So you know always always going there. And then what are some of the, I guess, common questions that you get? <sighs> How to get directed started. at any um, one in particular? Well, uh, I guess, Uno, what, what, what are you well, hearing? Well, how to get started, you know, how to, how to get soil. You know, on the Big Island, we're a little different. On Hawaii Island, we're a little different than other places. We're a younger island, and here on the Kona side, some people don't have much soil. 
we're dealing with a lot of rock. <laughs> so people have to create soil, and there's also less water here. We don't. We have a lot of areas that are only on catchment, and in drier times they don't have enough water. So they have some limitations here, both with soil and water. But, um, you know, I help people to figure out how to create compost, do some worm castings, um, you know, there, there are some folks that sell uh, composted macadamia nut husks here that you can add and make soil. Um, so, yeah, people, people really want to know about how to, um, how, to start, how to start and get the soil or, you know, build a, build a box or, you know, a raised bed. Um, and then they also worry about pests, you know. So pests are kind of important. That's, you know, and, and we have so many microclimates. Like I have friends that live just three miles away from me. We're totally different, you know. <laughs> so Hawaii's funny that way too. You have drier and wetter places, different elevations. You know, you have so many different variables that uh, it can be a little tough. And uh, people give up. Unfortunately, here in Hawaii, they they try to grow something and they, oh, it didn't work, you know. And then they give <laughs> up. And I always say, don't give up. Start with the easy things. And then move on. And don't make your garden too big. You know, start small. Start with the things like radishes and arugula and green beans and, you know, the stuff that grows easy. <laughs> okay, so you have success early on. That's a, yeah. that's a good point. And, uh, Fran, oh, what are some of the, I guess, most common questions that you get? Um, well, very much like what Luna's describing, people want to know what's going to work in their environment. And that's what our business is set up for. We always start our jobs with a site visit to the client's home to see what exactly they have going on, what the physical characteristics are like, so we can just kind of zero in on what's possible in their yard or on their lanai. But, um, yeah, um, one, one thing I like to tell new gardeners is that, you know what, um, your plants are supposed to die. That's, that's what they are. They are, are they're annual plants, and they, most of the ones we like to eat, they come from temperate climates where their life cycle is programmed to, to grow and fruit and feed and die in one growing season. So if your plants, you know, if, if they're dying and you've got a good crop, then it's fine. That's what's supposed to happen. The lettuce will bolt. The basil will get woody and set seed and the leaves will get small and it's not your fault. But if they die before you get an edible crop, then it probably is your fault. And then you have to put some effort into figuring out what the problem is, and you'll be a better gardener for it. So, so don't get so too, or don't get too devastated. It, right. Yeah. It's not a total failure. Yeah. Right, because people will think, well, like that will happen that their basil will go to seed, and they think they have a black thumb. But ah. no, no, no. It's just what's supposed to happen with your, with your annual vegetables and herbs. And Evan, what kind of questions do you get there on Maui? The full gamut, uh, you know, echoing that, that black thumb concept is one, uh, you know, people are dealing with so many fears of making a mistake or getting it wrong. And I, my experience, my personal experience was the first garden I ever planted, I tended starts for about three months. I planted them out. I went to work for the day and I came back 24 hours later and everything was dead. Fried <laughs> by the sun. And, you know, that, that could have stopped me at I have a black thumb or it could have been a learning experience. And so all these things are really learning experiences that people are 
that's taking on. But I, but I get a lot of questions around what's eating my plant? You know, what, what's this pest? What's this fungus? And really people fo- focusing on the, the pest challenges that happen. And, and for me, I tend to pivot not in the mode of um, fighting whatever pest it is or, um, or whatever, you know, fungus it might be or bacteria it might be. But I'm looking at things like, well, what species did you plant? Where did the seed come from? Was it adapted to our climate? How's the wind coming into your garden? Is it really strong? What are the borders like? Um, how's the soil quality? And are you caring for that? Because usually these things are the bigger cause of us having pest and disease challenges than just some pest and disease decided to come in and bully our plants down to the ground. And so, um, yeah, and, and then why... the question of really how to start, um, I hear often. And really, I just encourage people to start to plant something and start having an experience, even if it's a failing experience, because it's going to lead the way to success. Um, excuse me, Evan, why did your garden die in 24 hours? <laughs> it, this, this was at 10, or 9,000 feet in Colorado, and it got fried by oh. the sun. Oh, dear. <laughs> there you go. We had a caller call in, uh, but was shy, didn't want to stay on, but shared this. Uh, The stay-at-home orders have caused a a boom in home baking. I find that some hipster home bakers are less than pleased that so many people are jumping into a hobby that they've been doing for years. So how do the guests feel about the influx of new home gardeners? Absolutely love it. Love it. I think it's great that the potting soil and the seeds are flying off the shelf. I think that comes from a wonderful place inside of people. It's, it's you know, survival. Yes, and, and, and um, one week after the shutdown in March, I walked into Ace Hardware, and when I saw that every seed was gone, my heart, I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy to see that there, you know, that there were no seeds. But, um, you know, besides the seeds of veggies, I just want to focus, point out that, um, you know, to focus on food sovereignty and security, it's important that we make sure to include in all Hawaiian gardens the foods that do well and have been grown by the Hawaiian people for many generations. Mm-hmm. Kalo, ulu, uala, sweet potato. You know, these things sustain folks here for many generations. So, um, you know, peren- and perennial plants, too. You know, some of these tropical perennials that many of us grow that often you can get a cutting from a friend like a... You can get pigeon peas or callaloo or chaya, you know, some of the perennial things that you don't have to plant every year, and then you're very successful. They usually just make a nice little bush over in the corner, and, and you could eat them, and, and it doesn't become a thing where you have to always have seeds. And, Evan, right? uh, you normally hold classes to, to try and encourage people to start gardens. Yeah, so obviously um, we're, we're stoked on that, and I, you know, I echo Una's concept around a lot of the Polynesian plants that we work with here. And one of the ways that we pivoted when everything shut down is we spent the last week in March opening up new bed space and planting rows of kalo and cassava and sweet potato and just, you know, getting food in the ground to feed the community. And so it also, you know, my want for more people to grow food is around our collective resilience. Because what I've learned as a farmer is that I can be resilient on my land and I can have enough food and enough water and energy and community around me. But the reality is is that my independent resiliency is actually only the average of my greater communities. And if there's not enough for the entire community, there's not enough for me. And so it's great that people are engaging in gardens, um, even the ones that are doing it for the first time and having failures and, and learning because it's all a learning process that I'm still in. I'm you know, 20, 
two years into growing food and I, and I have so much to learn and I keep having failures, you know, like every day I'm experiencing failures on our farm and, but the successes outweigh the failures and the more time goes, the more the successes outweigh the failures. And so yeah, it's so a lot of inspiration around people getting engaged with gardens and getting engaged with local food systems and food sovereignty. And I also have noted that as a farmer, there is a competition that's happened for soil and there is a competition that's happened for seeds and other things and um, but overall what I've seen in the seed market where supplies have become limited is that the, the main suppliers that I go to for seed have gone through periods of shutting down retail sales meaning they've stopped selling to the small person that's buying like a few packets of seed because they were taxing their resources but they were staying open to the commercial growers that were going to them and so the industry has really pivoted in a way to support agricultural system being held together and that's also been really inspiring in there that's interesting well you are listening to the conversation on hawaii public radio we're talking about gardens and you can join that discussion by calling one 877 stay with us we'll be right back after a short break support for hawaii public radio comes from first hawaiian bank committed to helping customers recover financially learn more by visiting fhb.com relief Member FDIC. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Martin Shaw, author of Courting the Wild Twin. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about seeking the exiled wild twin located deep inside and outside us. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from University Health Partners of Hawaii, the faculty practice of the John A. Burns School of Medicine. In-person and telemedicine services include family medicine, internal medicine, and behavioral health. UHPHawaii.org. back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Our guests in our studio today are Una Greenaway uh, from Kona. She's the president of the Hawaii Organic Farming Association. Evan Ryan is a Maui farmer with a Pono Grown Farm Center. And Fran Butera is a gardener-in-chief of Foodscapes Hawaii. And, you know, uh, during the shutdown, uh, one sad thing that happened is that gardeners couldn't get out to their community gardens uh, we were out and about when uh, Mayor Kirk Caldwell gave the green light for folks to go out and harvest their their um, their gardens. Um, we um, uh, we talked to who did we talk to? Uh, Asia Yuri and her young son. They were ecstatic when the garden opened. Uh, they've been gardening at the uh, Waikiki Community Garden since before Oliver was born. What did we pick today, honey? Green beans. So we picked green beans today, and he loves eating anything from the garden, even the arugula. But we're thrilled the garden's open because now we can eat fresh vegetables. And we come in the middle of the day, like right now, and you know, there's like, what, four people in the whole acre? So we're, we're excited, we're happy, and it gets okay. us outside. And Oliver, how old are you? Four. Four, are you happy the garden is open? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we are happy. And let's take a listen to another gardener. Christina Hammond has been gardening for three months, and she was eager to get out and about and harvest the fruits of her labor. So, yeah, we're thrilled because a lot of us have 
vegetables coming up and you know lettuce and sustainable stuff so yeah we definitely want to keep using it a gardener friend of mine said that you know this is garden therapy during this very stressful time and she really needed the outlet to be in her garden digging in the dirt again absolutely i've owned a few houses and i've always had a garden and i don't own a home right now and i live over on diamond head and i just walk here couple of times a day and take it all in enjoy everybody's beautiful flowers and the butterflies and take a deep breath and it's been very soothing you know garden therapy I mean it, it's just been you know such a healing activity during this very stressful time uh friend you know what were you hearing from from your customers oh what was I hearing from them about um the stress and yeah. wanting to garden oh that they were very glad to have their garden um you know, just for the basic fact of having the food and not having to go to the grocery store, which is kind of a stressful experience in itself. And, you know, just, yeah, being able to get up there and and um, forget about your troubles because there's a lot to think about in a garden. Um, I, yeah, I was getting calls from people who needed some help, and so we ended up doing a little bit of telehealth where I could, you know, do a FaceTime call and so the uh, client would walk around the garden with the phone, and I could give advice that way. So that was different <laughs> and fun and a way to keep connected. And were, were they, I don't know, stressed about, you know, not finding the stuff at the stores, you know, whether they didn't have soil or, you know, or, or enough seeds? Um, you know what? Most of my clients, they, they compost. And they know how to save seeds, whether they do or not. And they also knew they could get these things from me, too. So, no, I wouldn't say they were stressed about that. There was an, enough stress to go around with with um, all, everything that was happening. That wasn't a source of stress. It was more a source of comfort, the garden. And, Evan, I think yeah. I jumped online and I saw where there was like a seed swap. You're a seed guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Talk about that. Uh, you mean you saw there was a seed swap that I was participating well, in? Well, I, I just happened to go online, was just looking to see what was happening on Maui. We haven't had any seed exchanges, because seed exchanges are usually a lot of people coming together, so that hasn't happened. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, traditionally, we, 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 we host a couple seed exchanges a year in our community, and it's a lot around just seed education and encouraging people to raise seed and grow it for Hawaii that's adapted to our climate, to our soil conditions, to, to our heat, um, to our wind patterns, to our air quality, um, to incur and to the pests that we have, the pests and diseases that we have, because we get greater success when it's seed that comes from this climate versus when we order from off-island and it comes from temperate climate. It's very different. And so the seed exchanges is an opportunity to just bring the community together in celebration of seeds and in celebration of our right to actually save and grow seed and in celebration of resiliency in doing that and to share varieties and share stories, the stories that, that we all have, and particularly around, you know, the aspect that all of our ancestors, you know, here we're a conversation of four people, but even everyone listening to this call have ancestors who traveled around the world with seeds um, and carried their culture with them wherever they went. Um, and the, the foods that they that they were raised with and they grew up with and they preferred. And this culture is still very alive, particularly here in Hawaii, where you have a fairly recent immigrant population in the past 150 years, but even the Polynesians going back hundreds of years that, that collectively brought these plants in this melting pot of plants for our survival and our sustenance. And so it's honoring that lineage and extending that lineage for future generations. 
Well, we have a call on the line right now from Maui. Uh, Robert, what's on your mind? Um, yes, I was actually looking into gardening, and I have a woman who used a um, culvert, an old plastic culvert. It's about two inches wide, and I'm going to cut that in half and add soil for my root vegetables. But I was looking online at vertical gardening using uh, PVC pipe and uh, very simple rudimentary four-inch tube with a, a five-gallon bucket at the bottom, kind of five foot tall. You have to modify the tube, but they've been doing a lot of leafy uh, stuff all over the world doing it this method, and people don't have the expensive soil and, and other things. So I was wondering what you thought. Who wants to take that question? I personally never done that. I've seen some things like that online, you know, and YouTube is is a wonderful resource. Uh, if you can get the parts and, and you have the time and inclination, try it. And then, and then tell us about it, how it turned out, what kind of problems you had. But definitely, if, if that's your way in, do it. You know, both would, hydroponics, act- hydroponics and aquaponics are, are pretty popular now. Um, you know, I don't know what success or success, the hello, I can't talk this morning, successes you folks might have had. Um, yeah, I don't really do aquaponics or hydroponics, so I'm out of that one. Yeah, aquaponics, I'm here on the Big Island. I know a lot of, like I was saying, a lot of folks don't have soil. So not myself, but I, I've seen a lot of folks do the aquaponics, and it works quite well for them because, you know, they, they're, um, they don't need soil to grow a beautiful garden. They do, uh, many of them are importing, importing feed for their fish, though, so it's not 100% sustainable unless they can um, work it out to create feed for the fish. But, um, but yeah, it, it, works, it works really well for people. And Evan? Um, I also don't have much experience. I'm a dirt farmer, mm-hmm. um, but, <laughs> but I would say that the only limitation to growing anything is our creativity. And so, yeah, really encouraging of going for it also. You know, when we were out at the Waikiki Community Garden, we ran into a nurse. Uh, she was a nurse at Queens. Uh, Brandy Ellsworth uh, has had her plot for more than a year. She says it's been wonderful garden therapy, and she's been mindful to keep her distance uh, with her fellow gardeners. We're trying to stagger the times that we come, so if we see somebody in the garden on our side, we'll wait till they go. But it's just great to be able to have, you know, make your own fruit and vegetables and things like that. It helps you unwind to get some time out of the house. And it's such a great idea, too, especially for young kids to keep them busy. Beans. Beans is a thing that they, they sprout easy, and then you'll within a month or two, you'll have beans. It's a really great thing to, to plant. Sunflowers, too. It's another great thing for kids to, to plant. They grow so fast, and it's springtime, so if things are growing, I really enjoy it. Here, come look at my beans. <laughs> They're all coming up. I'm so excited. Oh, impressive. Yeah, and then we got soybean over there. we got snow peas. Cucumber, rosemary, zucchinis, tomatoes, onion, taro. This is my non-vegetable section. The non-vegetable section, flowers. Mm-hmm. She had those wonderful sunflowers. You know, uh, but do the same principles apply for, you know, flowers and veggies? I don't know. Una? Uh, yeah. I, well, you know, I think one, one of the things that it's important to, for a beginning farmer to distinguish the difference is which things that you direct seed into the ground and which plants are best to transplant. 
And um, with the amount of critters that are around in Hawaii, it seems like it's a little more than on the mainland, um, you might even want to transplant things that they tell you never to transplant. For instance, I just have recently had great success with beets that I just hmm. never got them to do that well. And now I put them in little cells. You know, I, I, I grow them until they're ready to transplant and um, makes a huge difference for me. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important to know which ones, which ones do best, you know, direct seeding or transplanting. So that's, that's pretty important. Um, yeah, so like for direct seeding, beans are really easy, radishes, carrots are pretty good, turnips, arugula, um, and for transplanting, I often like I generally would transplant lettuce, kale, beets, green onions, broccoli, eggplant, tomatoes, pepper, you know, and herbs too. Because you know, you you might get them to sprout in in your in your beautiful little veggie bed, and then you might come out a day later and they're gone mm-hmm. because someone's chewed them down. So mm-hmm. if you can get them to a place where they have two sets of the secondary leaves and they're ready to transplant, because you know all all plants have a primary leaf that pops up when they first sprout and then they have a different shape of a leaf and if you get two sets of them that's a really good time to transplant them (laughs) and um, they're just more likely you know to survive the onslaught of a possible bug. Fran did you want to say something? Yeah I would like to amplify amplify what Una said. I think it's an excellent idea for any gardener to set up a seeding table where you're planting the next round of plants in the, in the pots that you probably have lots of lying around your yard. And then, you know, you're starting, you're starting what you're going to be putting into your garden in a month or two. And that way you keep your garden going continuously so that when you're harvesting your current crops in the garden, you're popping in your transplants that are now tall enough and strong enough to go in. For instance, right now it's hot and going to get hotter. So if you're, you're taking out your tender greens because they're starting to bulk and you're harvesting them and eating them, so then you'll be taking your tomatoes and your okra seedlings and putting them in place where the uh, harvested crop was. That way you don't have bare soil in your garden and you just keep it moving. You keep it moving. And when you're doing that, when, you, when you're starting seedlings, think about that some should be tall and, and um will be in the garden kind of like shade umbrellas for the smaller ones, and then some are the understory. So your tall ones are the tomatoes, okra, eggplants, tomatillos, and your understory ones are the more like the heat-tolerant greens, um, like certain varieties of lettuce and komatsuna and kale and so forth that take up the lower 12 inches and are getting shaded by the ones that take up the upper 12 inches. But I just really, really encourage people to to have your seedling table, start be constantly starting new transplants, and be putting them in when you're taking anything out. And that's really, it's a really good way to keep a small garden productive all the time. Oh, and one more thing, when you're doing your transplanting, that's a good time to, to amend, spot amend your soil with something very nutritious like vermicast or seaweed or aged horse manure, something along those lines that has a lot of biological activity and a lot of food and good structure. So you want to condition that soil. Mm-hmm, yep. 
We have an email from a listener. Uh, let's see, share. He shares. He or she shares. Uh, only one attempt out of ten results in a moderately successful crop of coriander. I've had different soils, oh. amount of water, shade, sunlight, pot, or in the ground, different seeds, but am very frustrated. What is the secret to growing cilantro in Hawaii? That's from <laughs> Roger. Uh, you know, Roger, I'm with you. I've tried many times and I, I've just failed. I May recommend culantro. Oh, what was that? I recommend something called culantro, which is a perennial cilantro, and no one ever eats it. I mean, the, the bugs don't eat it. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so it's called culantro, and um, you can find the seed online, and 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 if you sprout it. Um, it'll be in your garden forever, and it'll it'll actually reseed itself around, and um, it tastes just like cilantro. Okay. Anybody else have where, any ideas about cilantro? Where is he located? Did it say? Uh, no. Oh, Wahiwa, okay. Wahiwa. I'm told. Where's that? You know. Here on Oahu. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So a lot of the hotter climates can have a harder time with cilantro. And what I recommend is in purchasing the seed is finding a bolt-resistant variety. Um, so looking for those words, really in all seed, that concept of bolt-resistant. Bolt-resistant um, bolting happens when plants get stressed and they get towards the end of their life and they start rising up to the sky. So that's like a lettuce plant can do it. Um, and they start going to seed. And so when they get stressed, their focus is getting the next generation, perpetuating things for the next generation. So then they start to go go to seed and cilantro. Um, yeah, and a lot of the really hot climates, especially if it's drier, can have a harder time with that. And so, yeah, finding a bolt-resistant variety. I know right now on the at the Hawaii Seed Growers Network, um, which is a project that I'm a part of, where we have an online seed marketplace, and there is a leisure cilantro, which is a bolt-resistant variety that's on there right now at hawaiiseedgrowersnetwork.com. Okay, good to know. And I know the University of Hawaii has a, uh, offers a number of, uh, of different types of seeds, so maybe they've got a good variety that they've had success there as well. Catherine, I had my best cilantro crop ever this year. Really? Um, yes. Okay, I planted, I planted seeds, direct sow into some concrete pots, like 10-inch or 12-inch pots, um, in January, January through March. So they got, they got direct sun for maybe four hours in the afternoon and it was cool sun which makes a difference right there's just some crops that they want direct sun but in the cooler weather and they can't take the same direct sun in the hot weather because they just can't handle it so i had yeah it was great it it lasted for two three months and then they bolted and now i have thousands of seeds wow of the next generation yeah so that's that's my recommendation cool Cool weather, direct sun for a part of the day, and they do kind of like to dry out in between watering, so that's where the concrete pots are useful. And I have a dumb question, because sometimes when I buy cilantro from the store, I don't know mm-hmm. how to store it. Do you stick it in your fridge, or do you put it in water on your, and leave it on your counter? Um, I bet everybody has a different way of doing it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I wash it right away in um well i go through my whole washing routine that um i'm kind of involved but anyway we rinse and then i soak it in salty water and then salad spin it and then i put it into um you know tupperware with paper towels 
Mm, okay. Yeah, Keep it and moist. it lasts a while. I think something about the the salt water is kind of a preservative, so it lasts a while. But you know, I mean, cilantro, fresh cilantro is so amazing. It it's is. not going to sit around in your refrigerator. <laughs> it doesn't last. <laughs> You're going to use it. Okay. <laughs> Well, you are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. We're talking about gardens and sustaining that garden you might have started. Call us at one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Sippy's Restaurants, now offering dishes such as chili in bulk bags and pouches ready for the family to heat and eat or to freeze for later. Online ordering at zippies.com or by downloading the app. Nearly 200 businesses across the state rely on HPR underwriting to reach engaged listeners like you. Mahalo to PCAT, the Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, handcrafted restaurants, and Aloha Theater. They believe, as you do, in the power of public radio. See a full list of our underwriters at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Honolulu Habitat for Humanity, dedicated to the idea that everyone should have a decent place to live and committed to bringing people together to build homes. HonoluluHabitat.org This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Our guests in our studio are Una Greenway uh, from Kona. She's president of the Hawaii Organic Farming Association. Evan Ryan is a Maui farmer with the Pono Grown Farm Center. And Fran Butera is gardener-in-chief of Foodscapes Hawaii. We do have, uh, or we did have a call on the line, a shy caller, uh, who wanted to know, who can we call when we want to report or diagnose a plant or plant disease on Maui? Evan? Yeah, I'll answer that question. There's the College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, which we call CTAR, C-T-A-H-R. They have an extension office, a cooperative extension office at the University of Hawaii Maui College that um, in normal times you can actually go in and bring a sample of your plant. I'm not sure how they're operating right now from a distance, but it might be taking a picture and sending it over. They might they might be doing the drop-off thing right now. So that's one way that you can do that. And then the other is the Maui Master Gardener Program has a hotline that you can call into that's staffed by volunteer master gardeners um, who are there to answer a lot of questions. Oftentimes, if they don't know because they're still newer to the program, they will uh, tap into the resources that can get your question answered. And all those places, I think, have outlets on various islands. Um, mm-hmm. so yes. If people have any questions, they can reach out to their island. Uh, we do have another call, this one from Kauai. Kathy, what's your question? Hi. Yes. Aloha. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I want to start a raised bed garden. I want to build the boxes up and fill them with soil. But do I have to do anything to the ground below the raised beds before I get started? Like, do I have to dig up the grass? and then put my boxes down and fill with soil, or can I just go right on top of what's, what's there? I just have regular grass. It's kind of dead grass, but do I have to do anything to the soil below the raised boxes? That's my question. How, how, high, how high will the raised beds be? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build them, so I'm going to start from scratch, I guess. Um, you know, a couple, uh-huh. uh, I'm thinking, you know, maybe go six to eight, okay. six to eight six inches to eight high. Inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so generally what I would recommend is doing um, a form of 
clean cardboard, clean meaning it doesn't have ink or tape attached to it, something to kill off the grasses so that you're not supporting them to just grow up through the soil you're adding. Another option would be newspaper, if depending on the type of grass, whether that'll effectively kill it or off or not. But just a thick enough layer of organic material that's going to kill off the grass for you and decompose through time. That's a good point. You know, uh, I know when um, we were digging up in our yard, we came across some peanuts that the previous uh, homeowner, I guess, had to help condition the soil. Any other tips like that? Um, one thing that I do is I order from usually one of the seed companies on the mainland, like um, Peaceful Valley, or I, I, I order buckwheat. And then um, even you don't, I don't have like a big mower, wheat uh, tiller or anything like what people usually do with um, ground covers to till them in. But um, I'll just even uh, in my vegetable beds, all my, my raised vegetable beds, I will um, in between some of my crops, especially after a heavy feeding crop, like a, like a, a um, an eggplant or a pepper or tomato or something like that or corn, I will... Um, broadcast in a, a lot of buckwheat seeds and put a little layer, fine layer of soil on top, press it down. And then when they sprout, I let them get about, I, I turn them in. I, I use a hoe or a shovel or something to put it back into the soil as a really great little cover crop. It helps with your uh, phosphorus uptake. And um, I do it before they before they. Um, before it goes to flower because I don't want it to make seeds because if it makes seeds it'll just keep coming up in the garden so I prefer to just have it all you know grow up about uh, six inches and then um, work it in so there are different things like that you can do to condition the soil different kinds of cover crops you know I um, came across a rendering plant here on Oahu uh, when I was doing stories about the Matson um, uh, molasses spill and uh, we followed the fish, you know, to see where they were g getting rid of the dead fish. And they took him to this plant out on the west side, and they made, you know, fish meal fertilizer. Uh, so it was just really interesting to see, you know, what you can use. I think one of you mentioned the seaweed. You know, when we have the uh, uh, seaweed cleanups at the beach, you know, for the Gorilla Ogo, uh, they bring those, you know, truck beds full of seaweed to the local farmers uh, to help them with uh, fertilizing their crops. That's one of my favorite amendments of all time because, A, it's free, it's down on the beach, and, B, it's invasive, so taking it off the beach to use in your garden is, is doing a favor. But you have to be careful about how you process it. So basically what we do is we, we um, rinse it and then we soak it in uh, five-gallon buckets of fresh water overnight and then rinse it again. And at that point, once you've done your second rinse, it's, it's, you can just use it right in your soil. You can put it in your mix. You can, you can use it in the planting hole. I like to put it in the bottoms of the pots instead of putting gravel uh, or something crunchy like that. I like to put the seaweed so that um, when the roots get down to the bottom, there's something for them. And seaweed has every nutrient a plant needs and especially micronutrients um can i could i throw something in about the raised bed for the caller sure okay um 
you know, when we're doing a, a client job and, and we need to get it done in a day, we actually, we do remove the grass because usually we're, it's a small footprint. You know, it's four by eight beds or eight by eight beds, something like that. It's not, it's not um, farm size, but um, homeowner size. So we, we remove the grass. And then if we're anywhere near a tree with aggressive roots, or, for instance, areca palms, which have aggressive roots, we lay down weed blocker as well. And I would also suggest that the beds be taller than 6 to 8 inches. Uh, 10 to 12 inches is, is good. It's a good size because probably your soil is going to drop some. So if you have a 6-inch tall bed and your soil drops an inch, you're not left with too much growing space there. Okay, yes. we, we yeah. have another call coming in from the Big Island. Suzanne from Puna. Hi, um, I am growing these little um, romaine lettuce plants in a fairly large box container, but I have these tiny little white flying insects that just love the leaves, and I don't see any damage, but they're just really sick. And so I fan them away, and of course they come back again. What can I use that's organically useful to get rid of these little guys. Thank you. Who wants to take that question? Sounds like whitefly. And so what's good for whitefly? And whitefly, um, I was told by the bug expert on my island um, that uh, it, as, as opposed to spraying, the best thing are those sticky traps. It's kind of a thing you hang and it's you know, it's, it's, it's got, you buy them at Ace Hardware or whatever, you know, you buy them anywhere, and they're called white fly traps, and you hang them nearby where the plants are, and, and the white flies are attracted to them, it's yellow, and they stick to it. So that's what I was told to do for white flies. Evan, any ideas? Um, neem oil is commonly sprayed for it. I personally don't love neem oil because you're adding oil to your plants in the tropics and that can intensify the effects of the sun and then also with tender lettuces that can be problematic. Um, one thing to consider because it is a raised bed and not a very large amount of space is netting that you could actually get some sort of screen material that you could uh, fashion something um, over the bed itself to exclude white flies. And we have another call from the Big Island from Hilosai. Ellen, what's your question? Um, I wanted to know if there's a problem with pollinators. I have a lot of my vegetable plants flowering, but then they don't produce uh, fruit. And if you could also speak to uh, rat lung, and you know, I hear a lot of people saying they're growing lettuce. Uh, how do you recommend people handle that? But primarily the pollinator issue. Thank you for those questions. Who wants to take that? Um, I can take that. Uh, you know, on Hawaii Island, there are no longer any wild hives of bees. So where exactly do you live? I live just north of Hilo. Okay. Do you see bees in your, do you see bees in your area? Because if someone isn't keeping active, uh, attended hive, you know, a, a managed hive near you within like two to three, two miles, two to three miles, and you, I don't know, do you see bees? I don't see any bees yeah, whatsoever. Hardly maybe any you'd want to, maybe you want to keep some bees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's, it's a big problem here on, on, on you on know, on, on Hawaii Island because of... On
uh, Evan, of one, the, um, the mite, the varroa mite that was introduced about 12 yeah. years ago, and then also the small hive beetle. So the wild, the wild hives are pretty much gone. And Evan, you do uh, some beekeeping, don't you? We do, yeah. And and on Maui, it's a little bit different because the wild hives are, are now alive right. and well, and so we're we're prolific in them. One thing that I would recommend, though, is uh, when I when people start new gardens, and even me when I have started new farms, one thing I start with is a cover crop of buckwheat, which I let go to flower, like in its full white glory flowers. Um, the buckwheat is doing a couple of things. One, it's producing a lot of organic matter to get the soil going, and it's also uh, mining phosphorus from the soil and making that bioavailable for the next generations of plants. But, um, but what it also does is it invites pollinators to your garden. And so it's not just bees that are pollinating, but a lot of different wasps um, and other insect life out there. And, um, but bees in particularly love the buckwheat. And so what that can do is if they are in your area but just haven't found you yet, it's going to introduce them to your garden. And it's, it's kind of like a, a welcome party, um, you know, a housewarming in a way. <laughs> Say, oh, come over here and check this out. There's water and there's food and forage for you and if you really don't see any bees at that point when you have a full flowering buckwheat um, grove going then yeah it'll tell you you have a bigger issue and need to think about either getting some bees or encouraging a neighbor to get some bees. Well you know we did uh, talk to the bee expert up at UH and I remember she mentioned that particularly with like mango trees she said the most effective pollinators are actually flies. So she suggested yeah. hanging a dead tilapia, like in a bag, <laughs> on the tree, and that will attract <laughs> flies, and that will pollinate your flowers. So it was a, a really interesting concept. <laughs> that would be a real winner in, in some urban yards, yeah. And, and with the rat lungworm, um, I would just, well, uh, we... We've actually on our farm, because we do have the semi-slug, which is the main vector, as you probably know, for the, um, for the rat lungworm disease, we no longer eat lettuce on our farm, which is kind of sad, but um, occasionally I'll grow some way up on a very high lanai where I know a slug can't get to it, but my husband and I are just a little nervous about the cleaning and the washing. And um, but I, I have lots of friends that are growing lettuce here on the on Hawaii Island, and they just wash it very very well, both sides, a couple times, you know, rinse it, don't soak it, rinse because you don't if if there is some of the larvae on your lettuce, you don't want to spread it around. <laughs> you want to just have it rinse with clean water, and plenty uh, you know plenty of folks are doing that. It's just. I have a husband who's very persnickety about it, so we're not doing it. But um, but many people do. All right, so we're just about running out of time here. But any final thoughts about you know washing your fruits and vegetables, uh, Evan? Uh, yeah, washing fruits and vegetables—it's a great idea. We wash them <laughs> at least a few times on the farm before they get to market, but we still let our customers know it's their responsibility to wash and visually inspect everything and especially you know our practices are you know everything we put on our plants we're willing to eat um, but if you're getting commercial food from other places even if it's organic there's a lot of things on the organic list that aren't organic and so yeah washing and then for rat lung we're visually inspecting and I also want to just share a practice that I recommend being what I would say is the best practice for having a successful garden which is just to walk your garden for at least one minute a day 
All right, there you go. Well, we've run out of time, but we would like to thank our guests, Fran Gutera, Gardener-in-Chief of Foodscapes Hawaii, Una Greenaway, President of the Hawaii Organic Farming Association, and Evan Ryan, the founder of Ponogrone Farm Center. And we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. Uh, you can still contact the Talkback line, record your comments. That number, 808-792-8217.